But my phone basically looks like a 15-year-old's after he's been out for an all-night drinking binge, which is, at times, slightly embarrassing. <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. So it turns out Gigi from last week's episode has a lot of fans. There are many people out there who had read her and Anna Holmwood's translation of The Legends of the Condor Heroes. And the good news for those people is that Gigi's work continues and she's aiming to release the fourth book in the season in 2021. And no, I can't get you a discount. I also forgot to mention last week that I first met Gigi at a party in Shanghai hosted by my friends Sophie and Thibaut, so a belated thank you to them. This week we switch from the world of literature to the world of diplomacy. Today's conversation is with Tom Barker, who is a New Zealand diplomat in Shanghai. I first met Tom last year through a mutual friend, Gabby Gabriel, so my second shout-out of the day goes to Gabby. And as for Tom himself, it's not often we get to hear on record from someone in his field, so I was very grateful to him for taking the time to speak with me. He somehow managed to be very frank and personable without saying anything that would lead to a diplomatic fallout. And before we get onto the interview, let me just give you a quick coronavirus update, something which I'm sure is keeping today's guest very busy these days. So it's March the 10th, 2020, and the main update this week is that anyone coming into China from countries such as Korea, Italy and Iran now need to go into quarantine at a location where they can be kept under medical observation. So this is new. Previously, people were being asked to manage their own self-confinement. Otherwise, there's no updates to life in Shanghai, uh, although I do just want to say, why on earth does everyone outside of China seem to be stocking up on toilet paper? I don't even understand the connection to the virus. I mean, hand sanitizer and face masks, yes, but toilet paper? I've been in China for the last five weeks, and I've never seen a shortage of toilet paper here. Anyway, now it's me who is on the verge of causing a diplomatic incident, so maybe I should stop talking and let's get on with the show. Well, thank you, Tom. I'm here with Tom Barker. Tom is the New Zealand Deputy Consul General for Shanghai. Hi. Before we go into any conversation, the first thing I ask you or any guest is, what object have you brought? I bought my phone. Um, the most tedious, boring, ubiquitous object everyone has. But um, for those who work in my line of work, it's also the, the chain that shackles us to our job. I mean, at least for me, it's an object which I have on me all the time. Um, quite literally, it has to be on my person 24-7 and it's a way that I can be contacted at all times so it's just it literally is the ball and chain which anchors me to both my job and to the, the way I exist when I'm in Shanghai. That must be mainly for security reasons I'm guessing. It is it's just information we have is so vital and the way that we communicate with each other is so vital that it becomes really important you always have your phone or whatever means you're using to communicate to the world on you. Um, you know I'm from a very small country New Zealand has 3.9 no sorry 4.9 million people so you know we're, we're a small country and so when we lose things like an iPhone people notice and they get very grumpy about it interesting and does that also extend to um, other aspects so I guess social media in general must be very tightly controlled yeah I mean I don't have a social media presence um, that's for a variety of reasons one of which is just that you have to be very careful of what you say when you represent a government um, there are examples if you have a country's governments I should say um, where people have inadvertently after a couple of drinks sent out a social media message they probably shouldn't have and then you know the repercussions of that are quite awful um, well personally awful for the rest of us in the world fairly hilarious 
But, um, and so I try to sort of restrict what I do as much as possible. And one way you can restrict that is just by keeping yourself as low key as possible. So we have our official social media presence, which, you know, we mediate and moderate through a variety of checks and balances, most of which are just, you know, the usual tedious things where you will write something and then nine people above you will vet it, edit it and correct it, you know, that's just any bureaucracy. But personally, I don't do much in the way of social media. So I have WeChat, but I have a very limited amount of people on it. Um, I have Facebook, but I think just my parents are on. And I think that's all I have. Right. Let's go back to the phone then, seeing as it's the object you brought. I mean, yeah, this phone is a very typical sort of bureaucratic device. It's a, a black iPhone, black because people who like to imagine we exist in shadows, actually we kind of more exist in the beige or the gray. Um, and I mean, the one thing that's kind of unusual about it, I guess, is that it has a security screen which prevents anyone from seeing what I'm reading from other sides. But because you know these things are invented by bureaucracies, um, the security screen is quite large. It sticks up quite a bit further, which means that none of the iPhone covers and protective devices work very well on it. So every time I put it down, it gets scratched. Every time the phone falls, it gets scratched. <laughs> Um, so my phone basically looks like a 15-year-old's after he's been out for an all-night drinking binge, which is at times slightly embarrassing. <laughs> well, obviously, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of a New Zealand diplomat is Flight of the Concords. You're nodding knowingly over there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a reference you hear quite often. I mean, sadly, it's, it's not that inaccurate. Um, our consulates are usually just two or three people. Uh, we often do have a man called Murray. <laughs> so Flight of the Concords, I mean, from my perspective as a New Zealander, was just an iconic skit show. But um, they got picked up by HBO. And I have to admit, I've only ever seen a couple of our HBO shows because I've never lived in the right countries to be able to watch it when they were on. But um, one of the ongoing conceits of it was they were based in the US and they would go into the Consulate General's office in the US and it would be basically a tiny wardrobe-sized office with a man called Murray, who was the, you know, the official diplomat of um, record, who would then give them very bad advice. Um, I'd like to think we don't do the very bad advice part, but I mean, when you compare us to every other uh, embassy or consulate in the world, we are tiny. Uh, I've been to rather hilarious negotiations where I'll walk in in the WTO, so I used to be a WTO negotiator, and I'd walk into these meetings with the Americans um, and there'll be 15 people on one side of a table and then me and if I was lucky my colleague on the other side of a table <laughs> Nice, so there are, there are elements actually that they did get kind of right in that show Parody always has that element of truth. It's what makes it so hilarious the smallness of New Zealand and also the overly friendly sort of attitude I think those are things that we do quite well. We, you know, we try to be as helpful as possible. We try to be useful. We try to be proactive. With New Zealand being so small, like the conceit is that I can say, do you know X from this city? Do you know Y from that city? And actually, you probably do. Yeah. So I mean, I've spent time in the UK where that is a drinking game. You, you go into a random person's house for a, you know, they're having a party or something. And all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, there are two Kiwis here. Let's see who they know in common. And you're suddenly forced to sit next to someone and recite names and locations until you have a person in common. And the really annoying thing is often it works. <laughs> well, what about with the guys from the flight of the Concords themselves? Do you have any connections with those guys? 
admittedly, I do. Um, I was at Victoria University the same time they were um, and um, spent time hanging out with him, though more peripherally, um, mostly because the wife of one of them, I'm not going to say who, um, was a very good friend of mine. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. The game does work. We have proof. <laughs> and so in terms of the consulate, which part do you work in and what's the day in the life? So I, mean, I work in the political section as opposed to the trade promotion section um, because I used to be a trade negotiator and I've worked in climate change. My role sort of encompasses those two areas primarily. I work in the trade and economics section. And so I do a lot of reporting around what's happening in the local economy, sort of how we help businesses um, interface in China. I also do a lot of work around the sort of the consular side, which is providing assistance and care to distressed Kiwis. I spend an awful lot of time doing speeches. Um, most bureaucrats and diplomats are just generally boring nerds, and yet somehow we're asked to go out to these places and try and be exciting and represent this incredibly dynamic, innovative country, and we are the opposite of that. And then I spend a lot of time researching what China's sort of looking at doing, the policy they're doing, to try and work out where New Zealand can either work with China to promote things like, for example, climate change, or where we can sort of try and influence China into a, a direction which we think is more beneficial to us, for example, in trade negotiations and developing regional trade architecture. Well, there you go. That's very well summarized. And you said that um, as part of your experience, you were in Geneva with WTO. So how did you end up here in China? What's your career background? Um, after I finished university, I went to Seoul um, to visit a friend and to do a little bit of work teaching English. And my grand plan was Seoul was going to be a pit stop on my way to the UK where I was going to study my master's in international relations. However, I mean, I found Seoul really fascinating. And while I was there, a friend of mine suggested that I enroll in one of the local universities there, which was quite good and was at the time trying to up its game with international students was offering scholarships. And so as a joke, I applied um, and they accepted me, which I was slightly surprised by. Um, they were quite patronizing their acceptance. They did a few times ask if I was, you know, going to be able to cope with a workload. Um, but they accepted me and they offered to pay for me. So, um, so yeah, I ended up doing a international relations degree in Seoul at one of their best universities. Then after that, I worked for a couple of random companies in Seoul, sort of doing translation and editing. Then ended up working for a quango for the Korean government. And then out of that, moved back to New Zealand ended up working for the government there and public service apparently is a thing that I've always been destined to do because I've been doing that ever since. Which would be now how many years? I think it'd be about 10 years now. Mm. Yeah. And after your experience in Korea, did you come to China with certain assumptions that you thought, okay, well, there could be similarities because it's a Confucianist society, which actually weren't the same as you experienced in Korea? No, that's exactly right. I thought that actually, yes, China would be quite similar to Korea. It would have that real Confucian sort of component to it, that driving ethos and thought. Um, and it doesn't. Um, I mean, Confucianism has really well and truly been erased in this country um, by the last 70 odd years of, um, you know, socialism slash communism, whatever you want to call it. You surprise me, actually, that you say it's been wiped out, because in my experience, especially when I talk to Chinese people, they still are quite proud of that Confucianist heritage, and they'll still link it back. And I think what I've heard is that there's a layering above Confucianism, but it's interesting to hear that, actually, you think it's been wiped out entirely. Well, you don't see the same level of sort of 
adherence to ritual and protocol so you do see some of it so you do i mean it's probably not fair to say it's been wiped out i think the the discipline part is still sort of adhered to quite strongly and you see that side of confucianism in a lot of the way government works here a lot of the way corporate culture works here and that sort of um and a really good example of that actually just thinking about recent changes in shanghai is the way they're rolling out the um, the recycling rules or the waste management rules, where it's a discipline orientated system. You get it right and you're fine. You get it wrong and you're punished. And it's about that that almost ritualistic discipline. But I mean, if you go beyond that, which I, I think is just a cultural remnant, which sort of just hangs around the same way that all Anglo's in the UK. Are essentially christian by moral and ethic but not by practice or faith um or not necessarily by practice or faith some of them might be um you know confucianism doesn't really exist here you don't see the same level of adherence to age and protocol and that hierarchy that you see in korea where confucianism still exists in quite a strong way you definitely don't see the household structure being organized in the same way you know it's uncommon to hear of men in Korea cooking for their families at night. And here in China, like, I mean, you know, I work with uh, a bunch of men who do go home and cook for their families on a regular basis because that in China is a thing that men do. That, that egalitarian spirit that communism or socialism, however you want to classify it, has, has definitely been embodied more. And that, that runs counter to Confucianism in quite a strong way. Going back to life in China then, do you live in a place near other diplomats? Like, do you meet at the same events and attend the same functions? Uh, we are a very small, insular group. Um, so, I mean, imagine a school of fish. They're all grey and shiny, and that's kind of us. Like, you know, you, you know where we are because we, we hang out a lot together. Um, not necessarily socially, but definitely at work events. Um, I, I see the same eight or nine poor souls at most things I go to. We develop camaraderie. Going back to um, something you said earlier when you said part of your job is to help Kiwis who are in distress. Yeah, I mean, they're never good stories. Uh, if they're coming to us, it's particularly bad. You know, Most people, particularly in the West, have a sort of aversion to involving government in their life. So if I get involved in it, it tends to be because it's either a criminal matter or it's just generally something that's awful enough that requires a diplomat being involved you know um that's it's always a really unpleasant situation but um it's also a deeply rewarding situation so if you can walk out of that where you felt like you've helped someone and you've you know you have someone who's just managed to take their partner's body home after a suicide or a death and they're emailing you to thank you for the work you did that's that feels like you actually helped and it's the one time where i feel like we actually shine a wee bit and we're no longer gray beige bureaucrats we're, we're plaid <laughs> <laughs> what about um, other situations i mean the the one of the the fun things about being a diplomat um is you do get to do all sorts of different things you never thought you'd do and it, it's fun and it's rewarding and challenging it's not always at the time fun so yeah i've had the the joy of you know being almost urinated on in an airplane which was just you know one of those joys where at the time you're just utterly horrified and you hate all humanity but it makes a really good bar story. <laughs> 
Well, thanks so much for your time, Tom. It was really interesting. Now to part two. Cool. Question one. What is your favorite China-related fact or piece of trivia? At the moment, I'm just I'm really stuck on this one thing I heard this afternoon, which is that the skin of durians is not considered organic matter. And so when you talk about the Shanghai recycling regime that they're introducing and where you put certain items of your household waste, if you have a durian, it is not food waste. Because of? I assume because durian's disgusting. <laughs> Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Um, I do. Um, and this has been my favorite word since day three of being here. It's Wai Wang. I'm probably brutally mispronouncing it. But it's um, the external internet. You know, we're in China where you have the firewall. So you have the internal internet. Um, and then you have Wai Wang, the, the internet the rest of the world has. And I just love the fact that they've had to invent a word for what the rest of us just call the internet. Yes. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? Uh, that's such a hard question because there's so many things I would not miss about China. Um, I mean, not the least, the ongoing irritation I have right now where every internet site and news site I read is currently unavailable. And I find it disappointing and slightly sad that that is becoming a more frequent occurrence where you know you can't access the news but actually the thing i think i'd miss the most and not miss the most is the same thing and that is the delivery service you have here like i love how easy it is to get food i love the fact that you can dial up on your phone a hundred different types of cuisine and it will get delivered within 30 minutes and it's all amazing i'll miss the convenience of that what I won't miss is just the pile of plastic and crap that you're left with afterwards and the way that that's incentivized this really awful behavior, which I notice even amongst myself and my family and my compatriots, of decadence and consumerism in a way which is quite harmful to the environment. And so I, I try to be socially responsible that way and you know try to only order from places which don't use plastic, for example, or a more sustainable way, the way they uh, produce their food and deliver but even then you're still it's still that sort of crass consumerism that convenience has produced um, is there anything that still surprises you about life in china oh everything about life in china surprises me i, I spend every day constantly made if, if there isn't at least five things which slightly freak me out then i'm probably not leaving my bedroom where is your favorite place to to go out to eat to drink or to hang out ah no this is a very hard one because again Shanghai is just full of amazing places um, there is one place I particularly love um, so on the outside it's concrete and it screams out you will be murdered in here like for example it's its name as far as I was aware for ages was cocktail cocktail very faded <laughs> but one day we were desperate for somebody to have a drink um, our kids had been really bratty all day we were just really frazzled but we didn't really want to go anywhere. So I saw that place. I saw it was open. The lights were finally on for the first time that we walked past it. So we went in and inside it was just this amazing, clean, semi-welcoming environment um, where someone had clearly really been into the Beatles and it just embraced the sort of the 60s mod vibe in a really bizarre way. So it turns out the bar is called Beagle. 
Beagle, never heard of it. No, you can still smoke all you want inside. That's the downside. Um, but the cocktails, they were so annoyingly good. <laughs> what is the best or worst purchase you've made in China? I've only had two really bad experiences buying things here. And both of them have been like buying things online because who shops in person these days? One time I ordered something and it just never arrived, which is disappointing, but I also only spent 10 kwai, so I didn't actually care. But another time I ordered, because I was desperate to get it, um, a bicycle repair kit because my bike's tire had stopped working properly and I was like trying to work out why and I was like, it's probably just got a flat somewhere, I'll get the repair kit, I'll rip out the tire and I'll work out what's going wrong. So I ordered this thing, they promised they'd deliver it the next day. And sure enough, the next day something arrived, but it was just a tube of glue. But not even bicycle glue, just glue. <laughs> so that, that was probably the worst. <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, you can fix a bike with glue. I, I can see the logic. <laughs> I, I quite like using my hands. I mean, it's the one thing I do miss about here. So I'm not, I'm not a handy person. Don't think that I'm good at these things. But like, one of the things I was very proud of in New Zealand was um, building a deck in the back of our house. Um, like, the deck is terrifying. And so I wouldn't like, ever like, try to get any awards for how well it's built. But it was really fun building it. <laughs> I'm very disappointed by how you pronounce that word. With your Kiwi accent, I was expecting something a lot funnier. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite WeChat sticker? So unfortunately, I don't use stickers. Um, so Barack Obama, in 2008, when he was elected president, was the first president ever to be given a phone. And he wrote messages on his phone in proper prose. So he would write full sentences, never abbreviate anything. So. Yeah, I was quite inspired by that. And I had a couple of friends who were also sort of along that pedantic line. And the look of disdain when I would send a smiley face was enough that um, I've just never been able to do it. I keep on wanting to. I, I see these people who do it. But then in my line of work, like the, the emoji could be misread in so many ways. And it'd be quite hilarious. I mean, I, I really wish I could because it'd be so fun to just put up a bring it sticker or something and see what would happen. But then... Yeah, it would be awkward. <laughs> yeah, I guess if there's one profession where I can forgive you for not using stickers, it would be yours. But I, I am still disappointed. Ah, oh, just can you imagine a 65-year-old ambassador trying to navigate which is the appropriate emoji? Do you use waving cornfield or do you use <laughs> a hot dog in the summer? <laughs> aubergine, aubergine, aubergine. <laughs> Okay, what about this question then? Is this within your diplomatic parameters? What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? Uh, I have done Norebang, which is the Korean version of KTV. Um, I, I sing in the way that um, a diplomatic personality should, so dogs howl and screech in the distance. So I try not to do it very often, but my, my song of choice is um, Sai's Champion, which is a song he did, I think, in 2004 or five. Um, right before he got banned from Korean media for smoking marijuana. Well, you're certainly burnishing your Korean credentials right there. Which is funny, since we're not in Korea, actually, Tom. No, well, I, I need to find a good Chinese song. And finally, what other China-related media or sources of information do you rely on? So, the media and the internet here is... It was a bit difficult. Um, I do like, there are quite a few places I do like. Um, I, I really like China Skinny for their economic reporting and these very interesting things that often aren't picked up on. And they they're, just have a really fun approach to it. 
Well, thank you so much, Tom. And before you scoot off, um, the last thing I ask everyone who sat in that chair is: out of everyone you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview for the next series? Uh, so my referral would be Tim Jackson, who is a patent attorney,、um, originally from New Zealand, but now working in Shanghai.、Um, he works in a really interesting field for China:、um, IP rights,、um, patents, and trademarks as a sort of emerging field. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening. So I think he'll have some quite fun and possibly quite confusing stories to tell you all. Great! I can't wait to meet Tim. And thank you again.、Uh, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that one, especially if you're a fan of all things Kiwi. I may have gone down the obvious route with references to Flight of the Concords, but I think I deserve some credit for not saying anything about flightless birds, or dairy cows, or Lord of the Bloody Rings. But here is a China-New Zealand reference that I couldn't resist. Did you know that China, in fact, produces around 50% of the world's kiwi fruits? China is the world's number one kiwi fruit producer, with New Zealand actually ranked third. So who is in the second spot? Anyone? Anyone? Italy. Lots of photos from today's episode. Please check out Mosaic of China on Instagram or Facebook, or join the community on WeChat by adding me on my ID Oscar one o eight seven seven, and I'll add you there myself. There is Tom's object, his battered phone. There are photos that he shared with me from his days at the WTO in Geneva, as well as some other everyday images from life as a New Zealand diplomat. And I've also included an image which describes Tom's favourite word or phrase, "Wai Wang," which actually comes from Guo Wai Wang Luo, the Internet outside of China. Apart from all the other details that we covered, the one thing in particular that I'd like to hear from you about is if you have any strong opinions on whether China is in fact still a Confucianist society or not. If you had any examples of things that you've experienced in the workplace or just in everyday life that makes you believe one way or the other. Then it would be great to hear from you about it. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs. Artwork by Denny Newell and extra support from Milo De Prieto and Alston Gong. We have another artistic episode coming up next week, so I'll see you then.